Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Your Move podcast. I'm Jeff, your host. Before we hear from Andy, I've got a quick update that we are really excited to share with all of you. We now have a fully updated Your Move with Andy Stanley YouTube channel. Not only is this an additional way to stay connected to Your Move content, it's now quite possibly the easiest way to share Your Move with friends and coworkers. The channel includes all of our latest episode videos, which you'd expect, but we've also created some featured content called Two Minute Takeaways. Topics like what is my purpose and how to be happy are just a couple examples of the helpful advice you'll find from Andy in under two minutes. So check out all of our channel content by searching for Your Move with Andy Stanley on YouTube.com. And better yet, we really hope you'll subscribe. That way, you'll be the first to know when we add a new video to the channel. And you never know, two minutes of advice might be delivered to your inbox exactly when you need it. So subscribe today. We really do believe that the next 30 minutes will help you make better decisions and as a result, enjoy life with fewer regrets. So today, we're going to begin with Andy's first message in his two-part series, Pack Your Bags. Hey, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my son Andrew and I went to hear our uh, favorite preacher, Jerry Seinfeld, and... um, (laughs) It was fabulous. Um, the, the sermon, it was kind of like all over the place. There wasn't really like a theme, which I, I could, it was hard to follow the theme of the sermon. He did mention God a couple times, and I wasn't even sure how that connected to the theme of the sermon. But anyway, during his um, incredible sermon, he, he made one great point that I thought was so good, we should do a whole series about it. And he, he made the point that wherever we are, we're never really settled where we are. We're always thinking about what's next. So wherever we are, toward the end of wherever we are, we say, we gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go. In fact, some of you, you're already thinking about you gotta go, and that was his point. And I thought, that's true, wherever we are, we're never really settled. Um, we're just always thinking, about, always thinking about what's next, what's next, what's next. So this is a series about how to prepare to get to where you gotta get to from where you currently are that you just got to from where you recently were <laughs> that you can't even remember. Okay, so that's what, that's what our theme is, okay? The short version of Pack Your Bags is how to prepare for what's next. Now, hopefully, you have something coming up next that you are uh, looking forward to. You may be slightly nervous. You may feel prepared, unprepared, but hopefully you got something coming up in the next few months or maybe the next year, or maybe you've got a three-year window and there's something coming up that you know, you're looking forward to. Maybe um, you got somebody that's about to graduate from high school or graduate from college or graduate school. Maybe you're about to get married. You got a wedding or your son or your daughter grandson or granddaughter, you got a wedding in the future, or maybe your brother or sister, older brother, older sister, maybe you're about to have a baby. It's like, wow, that's, that's you know, how do I get ready for that? Maybe it's another baby. Uh, maybe you're about to start a new job or you're looking forward to a new job, maybe a new school. Maybe you're on the verge of becoming empty nesters, you know, and you're, you're so excited about that, you think, and then you all look at each other. It's like, can we handle that much time with, alone? You know, so it's like you're excited about it. Um, some of you, retirement. And this is, this is, I don't mean retirement like in the next three months, but the next big thing for you. In other words, you've kind of gotten to the empty nest thing and the next, the next thing. So for all of us, hopefully for all of you, there's something coming up that's a next that you're actually looking forward to. You see it coming and you're excited and you're a little bit stressed about it. And that makes perfect sense. Let me explain why. Whatever is next means a transition. A transition always means change. And even if it's a good change, it results in stress. That transitions, all transitions are always stressful, even the ones that you look forward to. I mean, remember the last time you had the conversation with the mother of a bride-to-be? Remember how excited she was? 
and how stressed out she was all at the same time, right? So here's the question. Are there really things, are there things that we can do now to prepare for what's next? I mean, is this even possible? And the reason I ask the question or pose the question is because, uh, you know, when, when you think about what's next, it's like you're, you're looking forward to it, but since you've never experienced that exactly, can you really even get ready? And the answer is yes, you really can prepare for what's next. But as we talk about how to prepare for what's next, there are two things that you have to keep in mind because these are the things that if you don't keep in mind, you'll lose a little bit of perspective and these things throw people off constantly. In fact, you'll be able to identify with at least one of these two things. The first thing is this, that regardless of what else you're packing for whatever's next, for that new job, for the new school, for the new move, the new city, uh, marriage, you know, whatever it is, whatever, whatever you're packing, just remember, along with everything else that, you, that you're packing for what's next, you pack you, okay? This is really important. Wherever you go, there you are. Okay, this may be the most important thing you hear for a long time. Wherever you go, there you are. And here's why that's important. In our minds, we fool ourselves and trick ourselves into thinking, well, once I get out of the house, once I get into school, once I'm married, once we have kids, once the kids grow up, once the kids are gone, we think somehow a new view and a new do is gonna be a new you. That somehow, once I'm in a different environment, different perspective, and I kind of find myself and remake myself and transform myself, a new view, a new do does not result in a new you. You are still the same old girl you used to be. You are still the same old guy you used to be. You're still the same, Bob Seger said a long time ago. You're still the same, right? Same ethics, same morals, same strengths, same weaknesses, right? Same, basically, you're just still the same. You just took yourself with you, okay? Second thing to keep in mind, okay, because it gets tricky, is that there is no necessary correlation. There is no necessary correlation between knowing what's next and being prepared for what's next. Now, if, if you don't think that's true, you know, the proof is every single Saturday, and Fridays and Sundays as well, but most Saturdays all over this country, all over the world, young men and women get together and they get all dressed up and get their families there and they take these vows and they say, I do. And all of us who are a few years on the other side of I do know that <laughs> I do doesn't mean you can. <laughs> it just means you plan to, but you don't know if you can do or not till you're having to can do, right? But there's, but there's this thing in me that's like, well, since I know what's coming next, I'm prepared for what's coming next. And that's not the case at all. And by the way, not only are you not sure you can do, you're not so sure he can do and she can do either. And the point being that way better than a promise, way better than a plan is preparation. That preparation for what's next, preparation for what's next trumps a plan and trumps a promise every single time. And that's why this series is so extraordinarily, extraordinarily important. If you've got something, coming up next. Now, the good news is we get a lot of help, and today we're gonna get a little help from a guy named James. James had a famous brother. His brother was Jesus. And so in our New Testaments, there is a document written by James, the brother of Jesus, and he weighs in on how to prepare for what's next. In fact, at the end of what he writes, and this is from the first century, at the end of what he writes, he makes this promise. This is the tail end. This is where we're gonna end up today. He says, if you do what I've just suggested that you do, you will be blessed in what you do. If you do what I'm about to tell you to do, in the next season, you will be blessed in what you do. There's something you can do in this season that will set you up for success in the next season. Now, this is, as you're gonna find out in the next few minutes, this is a really big deal for me personally, and I'll tell you why. Um, when I began to teach, you know, many, many years ago, I loved this passage because of, because of the illustration in this passage. I love this passage 
But when I was much younger and would teach this passage, I would say, you know what? James, the brother of Jesus says, the New Testament says, the Bible says, therefore we ought to do this. But now having gone through many, many transitions in my personal life, and having had the privilege of being taught when I was young what I'm about to teach you that James teaches all of us, and having experienced the benefit of, I can tell you from personal experience that what James says at the end is absolutely true. You will be blessed in what you do if you do what he suggests that we do. So this is a really, really big deal. He wrote this in the first century, brother of Jesus. It's kind of cool to know that James was not one of Jesus' disciples. In fact, James didn't really, th James kind of thought his brother was crazy. And then when his brother died, he thought probably what a waste. <laughs> and then he met his brother on the other side of the crucifixion and went, uh-oh, I was wrong. And James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. James believed that his brother was his Lord. So here's what he says, and these are familiar words perhaps if you were raised in church. He says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. So here's, here's the trick, Here, here's what he's saying. He's saying, do not fool yourself into thinking that if you've heard it, it's gonna make any difference. If you think hearing it makes a difference, if you think listening to it makes a difference, you deceive yourselves. And this is a big deal, especially for us church people and especially for any kind of religious person, even if you're not a Christian, you're some other part of some other religion. There is something in us, and I get this, there's something in us that thinks, since I was in the room, I'm a better person. Since I have participated in the conversation, I'm a better person. Since I've been to church, you know, three weeks in a row, I, I'm, there's something, I'm a better person. And it's true, it's great to be in a circle, it's great to be in a row. James says, don't allow that habit you have of listening and hearing, or maybe even reading, don't allow it to deceive you. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that's what makes the difference. Well, what makes the difference? He says, I'm glad you asked. Do what? It says, it's not enough to listen, it's not enough to hear, it's not enough to be convicted. And one of the things that us Americans, and I'm probably Europeans as well, but just speaking for Americans, and I think a lot of Canadians the same way, there's something in us that when we're in an environment like this, or we're watching at home, and somebody like me says something very convicting, or that's, you know, kind of gets right up in your face, and there's something in you that's like, oh, you're right. We confuse that, well, we don't confuse it. That for us, that's kind of a religious experience. In fact, for some of you, the point of going to church is to feel bad about yourself because you feel like that's a religious experience. Where did you get that? The goal isn't to feel bad about yourself. The goal isn't to hear. The goal isn't to know I ought to, I ought to, I ought to. James says, you need to do something with what you've heard. So he says this, anyone, that would be you and me, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, Anyone that listens to the word but does not do what it says, and then he gives us one of the greatest illustrations, maybe the best illustration in all the New Testament, maybe the, whole, the, whole, the entire Bible. Anyone who hears, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, this is so amazing, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself or herself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Here's his point. He says to listen to scripture or to listen to the truth taught and to not do anything with it is like getting up in the morning, looking in the mirror going, oh, that's horrible. And then getting dressed and going to school, going to work, going to coffee, going to whatever you're going to and forgetting what you saw in the mirror. 
When we look in the mirror, we are reminded that something needs to be done. When you see something, you do something. And you know why? Because a mirror requires a response, doesn't it? In fact, I know how long each one of you stands in front of the mirror every single morning of the week. I do. You stand there until it gets better. That's how long (laughs) you stand there. You do not leave. In fact, some of you thought it was better. You were ready to go. You're at the front door or the back door and you glance in the mirror and you're like, it's not quite better enough. And you were late for school. You were late for work. You were late for an appointment. You were late for breakfast. You were late for coffee because it wasn't quite better enough. And you went back and you changed something you had on or you went back and you fixed something or you pulled it back and you tied it back and you decided this is a hat day. This is hat day, okay? Because that's what a mirror does. A mirror requires a response. Now, here's the interesting thing because we deceive ourselves. This is why this is such a powerful teaching. We deceive ourselves. No one gets credit. No one gets credit for looking in the mirror in the real world. In other words, if you get up tomorrow and you look in the mirror and you think, wow, that is horrible, that's horrible. And then you just get dressed and go to work and your boss comes up to you and says, hey, there is no way you can go in there and talk to clients looking like that. And you say to your boss, but I looked in the mirror Your boss will look at you like you're crazy, why? Because in the real world, we don't get credit for looking in the mirror, right? But in the realm of our personal behavior, in the realm of our personal development, we do that all the time. We sit under teaching, we read books, we listen to somebody say something and we think, oh, that's so convicting. Well, what are you gonna do? Well, nothing, just come back next week for another dose of conviction, isn't that the point? And James says, if that's your pattern, if that's your pattern, you are deceiving yourself. It's obvious what you should do. You're just not doing it. Now, here's the thing. If you are in the habit, this is how it connects to our series. If you are in the habit of seeing something, but not doing something, if you're in the habit of seeing something, but doing nothing now, guess what? When you move into that next season, when you are a part or you step into what's next, you will see something and do nothing then as well. Because a habit now of doing nothing with what you hear and what you see will be the habit you carry with you into the next season, which means you won't be prepared. But James doesn't stop there, fortunately. He says, but, big contrast, but, and now he introduces the habit Now he introduces the first habit we're gonna look at that prepares us, that prepares you, that prepares me for what's next. And this is so fabulous. He says, but whoever, again, that's all of us, but whoever looks intently, and the Greek term here, the idea here is you're walking along and you notice something and you stop. And you get down on one knee and you gaze intently. You look at this thing until you figure out what it is. This isn't a glance, this is a stop and stare. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law. Now I have to explain this, but this is so incredible. When Jesus was doing his earthly ministry, one day someone asked him, Jesus, what are the, what are the, what's the greatest commandment? And this was a common question for first century Jews. And first century Jews all had the same answer to this question. It said, well, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God, your, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And of course, everybody's nodding. And he went, and, everybody stopped, and your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest two, not greatest two like number one and number two, like in sequence, the greatest two, they go together. Well, that was like a game changer, showstopper. I mean, you just took 631 commands and reduced it to two, but he wasn't done. This is so powerful. On the last night of his life before he was crucified, he gathers with his disciples. They've heard him teach this so many times. And he says, guys, 
Tonight I'm giving you a new command. And Jesus says, here it is, from now on, I want you to love one another the way I have loved you. This is the law of Jesus. You are to love one another, not the way you've been loved, not even the way you wanna be loved. That's the golden rule. This is the platinum rule. You are to love one another the way I have loved you. And no doubt they thought to themselves those occasions when Jesus loved them well, they had no idea. Because a few hours later, he would be arrested. He would die for their sin. He would rise from the dead. And he would say, now that's what I'm talking about. So when James says, look, whoever looks int intently into the perfect law, he's not talking about 631 commandments. I don't even think he was talking about two. I think he boiled it down as Jesus said to this one idea. The law says, the thing that we're gonna look at intently, the thing we pause and stare at is this idea that I'm supposed to love you and I'm supposed to respond to you and I'm supposed to love you and I'm supposed to respond to you the way that God in Christ responded to me. And then James says something incredible. He says, and when you do that, and when I do that, we will experience freedom. That the promise of gazing intently into Jesus' perfect law and doing it, not just memorizing it, not just groaning on the inside, but doing it is the promise of freedom. That seeing and doing now, listening and doing now results in freedom later. Now, the reason I'm so passionate about this and the reason I just would love to grab everybody by the collar and say, you just, you just gotta, you know, if you don't trust James, trust me. If you don't trust me, trust James. It's such a big deal. It's because when I was a kid, this is, this is the kind of stuff I was taught. In fact, I'll give you a couple examples. When I was a kid, I was taught, and these are my words, not the words they used, because I had to, you know, make it memorable for me. I was taught, this is how you manage your money. Give first, live second. I mean, give first, save second, live on the rest. That you give, you save, and you live. Now, you know, when I was making $3.82 an hour at Winn-Dixie when I was a 16, you know, 16 years old, you know, and the whole idea of taking a percentage of my hard-earned money and giving it to the church, because that's what we, you know, that we didn't have lots of nonprofits back then, you just give it to the church. I mean, that, that didn't seem very liberating. And then when I started working at the plaque company where I'm setting tithe and burning my fingers and staying up all hours, you know, trying to get all these orders ready, the whole idea of just giving a percentage of my money off the top, give first, save second, live on the rest, that didn't seem liberating. In fact, liberating sounds more like live first, save second, and give the leftovers. This did not feel very liberating. This did not feel like obeying Jesus was leading to freedom. And the reason in the New Testament that we're commanded to be generous, the reason we're commanded to be generous is because generosity, this is rocket science, generosity helps other people. The reason we give is because generosity keeps our hands wide open. We give because it helps other people. And Jesus said to his disciples, look, forget everything else. I want you to love people the way I've loved you. And how have I loved you? I have given my life for you. So anytime you can give something to help another person, you're acting like Jesus. So you give first, save second, live on the rest. Well, you know what? You know what the results of this has been after years and years and years and years and years and years of doing this? Financial freedom. Because when you live like this, you stay out of debt. You don't even have to decide to stay out of debt. You just stay out of debt. This so, this so creates a template for how you manage all your money at the end of the day you end up with financial freedom. James says, that's what I'm talking about. Another thing that you were taught, that I was taught that we're supposed to forgive. Why are we supposed to forgive? Well, because 
God forgave you through Christ. I mean, this is, Jesus said, I want you to do whatever I do for you. I want you to love the way I've loved you and I'm forgiving you. So now you're supposed to go forgive everybody else. Well, the problem with forgiveness is forgiveness feels like I'm punishing me and the person that did me wrong is getting away with it. I mean, it's just, there's nothing intuitive about forgiveness, right? But over time, you learn that one of the most liberating things you can do for you is to forgive the people who've been cruel to you. Forgiveness is only liberating if you do it, not if you're just convinced of the concept. Then here's the big one, right? Then we'll move on. Sexual purity, like really? Sexual purity is liberating? I don't think so. We just need to think about it. Sexual purity is very liberating, and you know, this ties directly to what Jesus taught, because you know what sexual purity really is? Remaining pure sexual, sexually, it's not about me, it's really about honoring other people. Because when you exercise sexual self-control, do you know what you're doing? You're honoring someone else. And not only are you honoring them, you're honoring every single one of their future relationships. By not becoming a regret, by not becoming a regret, you are honoring their next relationship and you are honoring them. And Jesus said, that's all I'm asking you to do is I want you to do for others what I have done for you. I want you to love the way I've loved. And besides, in the end of the day, you know what you discover? You discover that sexual purity actual paves the way, actually paves the way to intimacy. The sexual purity paves the way to intimacy. There is a payoff, there is liberty, there is freedom. Because eventually everybody understands whether you admit it or not, and this is where our culture needs such a wake-up call, that exclusivity, exclusivity, Exclusivity is what leads to romance, not experience. Experience does not lead to romance. Exclusivity leads to romance. And where there's exclusivity and where there's romance in a relationship, there is liberty. And I could go on and on and on and on, and James is right that when we stop and stare and gaze and find our reflection in the mirror, of this incredible law of liberty, and we stare at it and gaze at it long enough to decide what we need to do about it, and then we do something with it, it makes a difference. Because looking and making the adjustments now is what creates liberty later. And you know why? Come on, because the seasons of our life are connected. That's why when you say, well, you know what, this is what I'm doing now, but when I move, no, they're connected. Well, you know, this is what I'm doing now, but once I'm married, nope. They're connected. Well, this is what I'm doing now, but once I get out of the house and get to school, no. They're connected. So here's what he says, the whole verse. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard or read or listened to, not forgetting, not forgetting, not forgetting, but doing it, and then the payoff and the promise, they will be blessed in what they do. Now. There's a little Greek thing going on here that I just wanna make sure you understand because this is so important. James is not saying that what you do will be blessed. It's way better than that. What James is saying here is that you personally will be blessed in the doing. You will be, and the word blessed simply means happy, that you will be happy, you will be fulfilled in the doing of what God has called you to do. The payoff is what happens in you, in your response to what God has called you to do. In other words, the habit of doing, the habit of doing, will make you happy, that there is personal fulfillment in responding to what we see in the mirror. And that is a habit that prepares you and prepares me for whatever 
is next. Being a doer now, being a doer now is preparation for being a doer later. Even when the do's change. Because here's the trick. You think, well, once I get to college, it's a different season, it's, you know, it's a bunch of different do's, yeah. But if you're not doing now, you won't do then. Well, I'm single and you know, once I'm married, all the rules change and it's a bunch of different do's, yeah. But if you're not doing the do's of single now, you're not gonna do the do's of marriage later. Who do you think you are? Again, a new view, a new do does not make a new you. You're still the same person you need to be. This is why the best preparation, the best preparation for what's next is to do what God has called you to do in this season because it sets you up to do what God will call you to do in the season that follows. And when you step across the line into that next season, there will be liberty. You will be blessed in what you do. And so I'm just telling you, this season of my life and this stage of my life, having gone through a bunch of transitions, I am such a thoroughly satisfied customer. And my temptation is to say, I can't imagine where I would be if it hadn't been for this teaching. (laughs) The problem is I can't imagine where I would be. I have a feeling I know exactly where I would be if I had just been a hearer only. And the reason I say that, and I bet you can identify with this, some of you, is my greatest regrets in life, and I have them just like you do, my greatest regrets in life are all associated with hearing and not doing. And your greatest regrets in life are associated with hearing and not doing. Your greatest uh, regrets in life are associated with somebody tried to tell you and you didn't want to hear it so you wouldn't have to do it. So if you're not doing now, you probably won't do later, which means you won't be prepared for what's next. Because doing, not hearing is what makes all the difference. Now the interesting thing, and this shouldn't shock us, is Jesus taught the same thing. But he taught his, and the, ver- and the you know, he, his version was a parable, a very familiar parable that I'm just gonna real, read real quickly just the first half of it, because many of you know this. Here's how Jesus said the very same thing. Therefore, Anyone, which is all of us, therefore anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that is anybody who hears and does, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain came down and the floods came up, the rains came down, and the rains came down and the streams rose and the winds blew against and beat against that house. Yet, Jesus said, it did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. You know what Jesus was teaching you and me? that the way you lay a solid foundation for your life is by being a doer, not a hearer. And when things get tough and when things get difficult and when things aren't working out, your life will not fall down. James is pretty clear. If you'll be a doer now, you'll be a doer later. So two questions and we're done. What are you doing now that you shouldn't be doing that you tell yourself, well, I won't do that later? Or hear about this one, what are you not doing now? What are you not doing now that you should be doing? And you tell yourself that you'll start later. Can I just be real direct? James says, you're deceiving yourself. Jesus says, your life may come tumbling down. Have you ever seen someone's life come tumbling down? We all have. Do you know what all the lives that came tumbling down have in common? They knew. They'd heard, they'd listened, somebody had said something. And you know what else they have in common? The people who love those folks the most saw it 
happening and couldn't do anything to stop it. And every single person whose life came tumbling down at some point along the way was confronted with a mirror that required a response. And they said, yeah, I ought to, I should, I know I need to think about that. Yeah, somebody, yeah, I think you're right, but not now, not now, not now. So my friends, doing, not hearing, is what makes the difference. And doing, not hearing, will determine if you're prepared for what's next. So, what do you need to do? Thanks so much for listening to Your Move. Don't forget to subscribe to the new Your Move YouTube channel, where you'll find today's conversation, plus a growing playlist of two-minute takeaways from Andy. As always, we hope you'll meet us back here next week for another episode of Your Move.